As we prepare to hear God's word, will you join me in prayer? God of the universe, revealed to us in Holy Scripture through the writings of the prophet and the preaching of John the Baptist, you have called us to prepare our hearts for your visitation. Ready us now to hear your word and to respond as faithful servants. To the glory of Christ, amen. Our Old Testament reading today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fires sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways, But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How can we be saved? All of us become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to hold hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. And from the New Testament... We have, uh, we're reading from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood, high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins, as it was written in the book of the word of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads should be made straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. The word of the Lord.
The title of our Advent sermon series is Savior on the Scene. And in it, we're exploring what it means that in Jesus, a Savior is born. Last week, we considered the scene that Jesus enters into, one that in Scripture is described as darkness. And Jesus enters into the darkness, bringing light. We discovered that to those who were longing for light in the darkness, Jesus brings God's light and changes their life. Encouraging their hopes in a future. Hopes for this life, but also hope for all eternity. Today we consider the way in which God's salvation enters the scene. Specifically, the unexpected way it enters the story. The account of Jesus' birth is bursting with Characters who are surprised in one way or another. Seemingly out of the blue. And those characters are invited to play an important part in the unfolding story of God's salvation. And so as we observe Advent and relive the story in this text, it comes to us with an invitation attached that God might be calling us to participate in the salvation of the Lord. We'll explore this aspect of the advent of the Savior in three phases, actually phrases, expect the unexpected, surprising forgiveness, and salvation breakthrough. First, expect the unexpected. Question for you. Do you like surprises? Now, each one of us has our own kind of personality uh, when it comes to surprises. I know that uh, early on in my relationship with my wife, I learned of the particular kind of surprises that she didn't particularly care for. (laughs) We, We kind of have different ideas about what surprises are okay. Some, I guess many of us, uh, when asked that question, do you like surprises, we would follow it up with a question that says, well, what kind of surprises are you talking about? You see, some surprises delight us. And while we have varying levels of comfort with things outside our control, most of us appreciate it when good things come our way, even if They come to us in inconvenient moments, like uh, a kindness that's expressed to us, or or someone who, who, a friend who comes to the door unannounced. It may be inconvenient, but hey, it's a friend standing right there. Maybe it's an opportunity that was unanticipated that is presented to us, and we even see God's hand working in that. But some surprises we are well aware are not so welcome, are they? They come across to us not as good news, but as bad news. And these can range from minor inconveniences throughout our day to major life-changing events. Think about the unwelcome events 
in your storyline. Perhaps something that happened recently, or maybe something that happened years ago that really is a key point in your life story. One of the more common of these unwelcome surprises in our lives has to do with loss. The loss of a loved one, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job. In the season of Advent, when we consider where the world was when God's people were waiting for a Savior, they were in this place. They were in a place of loss. That's really what we're talking about when we look at God's people in exile. It was unexpected. It was not dreamed of or hoped for. It was the worst thing imaginable. Individually and corporately, God's people suffered great loss. Many lives were lost. And those who survived were wholesale uprooted from their homeland and deported to another place. It's when we've suffered loss that we hope for a different kind of surprise to enter our storyline. The kind of surprise that brings restoration to those who have suffered loss. We hope for an unexpected event that brings good news. Now, while the bad losses, the specific bad losses we've experienced, might well be irreversible, we long for something good that will turn the arc of our story in an upward direction. God's people in exile are longing for just that thing, Yearning for God to surprise them with a mighty act of restoration and salvation. And in Isaiah 64, their corporate longing is spoken clearly with passion by the prophet Isaiah. God's people are expecting the unexpected. We read from Isaiah 64... Verses 1 through 4. Oh, that you, O Lord, would rend or tear the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Skipping to verse 3. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down, and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. They are expecting something, waiting for something from the God who acts unexpectedly. You see, God's people remember God's good surprises along with the bad. And long for just such an experience of his unexpected blessing. They remember God doing awesome things that they didn't expect. And the image of God tearing open the heavens and coming down to this earth is a reference, again, similar to last week, a reference to that original salvation event in the life of God's people. 
God saving the people from slavery in Egypt. Because it was at Mount Sinai that God did, in fact, do what's being described here. Literally coming down to earth and being present at Mount Sinai and giving his people the law and reassuring him of his presence on their way to their deliverance and the destination of the land of promise. They know that God does surprising things. They've benefited from God acting unexpectedly in this way. They know God as one who acts on behalf of those who wait for him, waiting for deliverance from slavery, waiting to enter the promised land, and now waiting to be returned to their homeland from exile. In their story with God, they learned to expect the unexpected. And so they long for restoration. In Advent, we follow their lead, expecting God to act in ways that will come as a surprise, if not to us, definitely to a watching world. As we trace the story of the birth of the Savior Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, we notice one surprise after another, often accompanied by the cue of an undoubted, clear surprise. And that is the presence and appearance of an angel. Surprise, the priest Zechariah, on his routine duties in the temple, encounters an angel. Surprise, even though we're told that, that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were, quote, both very old. The angel tells him his wife will bear a child who will have a special mission in preparing the way for God's Messiah. Surprise, Zechariah, because of the encounter with the angel, cannot speak until his son is born and named as prophesied. And then surprise, this same angel enters the life of someone at the very other end of the life stage spectrum, a very young woman named Mary. Surprise, she learns from this encounter that she will give birth to God's Messiah. And surprise, she learns that it won't happen in a way that anyone has ever seen before or has ever seen since. Surprise, Mary sings a song of praise to God for his surprising reversals. Quote, bringing down rulers from their thrones, but lifting up the humble. Filling the hungry with good things, but sending the rich away empty. Speaking of reversals, I encountered the concept of reversal when I was doing some research about the importance of surprise as an element in storytelling. For those of you who like reading good stories, you would recognize the fact that 
a surprise or an unexpected occurrence captures your attention and keeps you reading. I mean, is there more of a boring phrase in the history of literature than, and they lived happily ever after? The story's over. But the story and stories that reflect human life, that help us make sense of our lives, involve reversals. An unexpected event factor thing, a surprise, enters the storyline and propels the plot forward. The Greek philosopher Aristotle, it turns out, in his classic work, Poetics, kind of wrote the book on how these stories function. And he's the one who labeled these surprise twists in the story as reversals. Reversals are turning points that change the trajectory of someone's life. In short, reversals are life-changing. Life-changing surprises. C.S. Lewis, who was no stranger to the art of storytelling, titled the autobiography of his early life that included his testimony of his conversion from atheism to Christianity. He titled it, Surprised by Joy. He took this phrase from a poem by William Wordsworth that speaks of unexpected joy in the midst of grief. Conversion is one of those words, one of those things in someone's life story that is a reversal. Life was headed in a certain direction, and then something happened, often by surprise, and now life is different, never the same again. And conversion is also evidence of the work of the Savior bringing forgiveness. And that's what our texts in the gospel and in Isaiah, remind us of this central concept of the Savior, Jesus the Savior being born, how important the concept of forgiveness is to changing the story of human life, the life of humanity, the common life of people, but also each person's individual life. Because the Savior brings forgiveness from God. The heart of salvation concerns forgiveness. And friends, forgiveness might be the greatest surprise of all. The great reversal in the story. Leading to reconciliation and restoration. In our human relationships, when we recognize that we have wronged someone... Maybe we've let someone down or, or offended them or, and perhaps even intentionally done so. We might properly wonder if someone might forgive us. We certainly recognize that we can't, we can't demand that someone else forgive us. It's out of our control. And so when it comes to us, there's always that sense of unexpectedness when we are the recipient of grace, of mercy, 
It's an unexpected surprise. And this is what's playing out in the story of salvation unfolding in these Advent events. In Isaiah 64, the prophet Isaiah is again sharing the, just where the people of God are in relation to their Lord. In Isaiah 64, starting in the midst of verse 5 through verse 7, they, he says, how, can, how then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean. Like the wind, our, our sins sweep us away. You have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Here God's people recognize that they, that they have sin and, and that this sin has gotten into their relationship with God. It's not a healthy relationship. And it's because of that sin. And what a vivid and tragic picture is described by being swept away by sin. I think of, when I think of that phrase, I think of, like, have you ever seen footage of someone trying to, 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 to anchor themselves in the midst of, like, hurricane or tornado force winds? And the wind, they're trying to hold their feet to the surface of the earth, but the wind is moving them further away. And by their own effort, they cannot get closer to what they think is their salvation. And they keep drifting away and away. Think about that, how that might happen, being swept away by our sin in terms of the current of water. Think about being caught in a riptide and trying as hard as you can to swim toward the shore, but just recognize that the, the, the current is just taking you further and further and further away. And this is the sense of the tragedy, of the impact of sin on the relationship between people and God. It's not so unlike the impact of sin on our relationship with one another. It tears us apart. It moves us further away. Further and further away. Have you ever been there where you're at a certain place in your relationship, but things are continuing to go bad? And each and every day you wake up and realize, I'm further away from that person, and forgiveness is that much harder and yet the people who are swept away by their sins receive a surprise message and that is that they can be returned, that they can be restored, that they can be drawn back into relationship, drawn into salvation and that source of safety through repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You see, sin has swept them away, but repentance and forgiveness bring 
reconciliation. In Luke chapter 3, we read of the, the mission of John the Baptist preparing the way for the Savior. Now Luke, in his gospel, some of you are aware of this, um, Luke intentionally put a lot of information in there that made it hard for Steve to pronounce all of those those, uh, those names of rulers. Now, he put it there for a reason. You know, he's the one who in the Christmas story in chapter 2 says when Quirinius was governor of Syria, he, he wanted to make sure that people knew that Jesus was born into the real world. And the history of that time in the known world was, was the history of all those people that Steve mentioned from the beginning of chapter 3. And so John the Baptist emerged in the real world. The real world of the power of the Roman Empire. And it says, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The story of God's coming salvation continues to be one of great surprise. There's this surprising person, John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, as he has come to be known. He's really John, son of Zechariah, the one who was promised to Zechariah in his surprise encounter with the angel Gabriel. John is in a surprising place when he enters the scene before Jesus' ministry. He's in the wilderness. And not, it wasn't mentioned here in this text, but in the Gospels, we read that his appearance was surprising. Also, his diet was a little bit odd. Locusts and wild honey. But perhaps most surprising of all is John's mission. You see, John is blazing a trail grading and clearing a road for repentance. He's preparing people for the entrance of the Savior who will save people through the forgiveness of sins. He preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance, in the Greek, the word metanoia, which literally means a turning. It's a very similar concept to Aristotle's concept of reversals in the story. Repentance means a turning, a turning away from sin and a turning toward God and the rest of your redeemed story, your redeemed life. Now this word over the years, I think, has lost its, this is my phrase, it's lost its luster of liberation. It seems to us to be, oh, you're talking about repentance. That's a religious word. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Um, Friends, think about this. Think about what it means if you are in a relationship that you have just settled in on that it's over. And that person comes to you with open arms and opens the door for fresh reconciliation. It's life-changing. 
it, it transforms your life, your relationships, your future. Your storyline is changed. That person who was written out of your story, and you were probably written out of theirs, now you're part of each other's story again. Has that ever happened to you? Have you seen that happen? Where a family story there's reconciliation there again. In a marriage, there's reconciliation that happens. Repentance is the road to forgiveness. It's the warm welcome and the invitation. And John's mission is something that just draws everyone who is feeling the weight of being swept away by their sins. And it's an open, extended invitation. It's inclusive. Come and receive forgiveness through repentance. When forgiveness enters the picture, salvation breaks through and turns our story toward redemption. It changes life as we know it. Today our observance of the second Sunday of Advent reminds us of peace. And yet this year our hearts are broken by the the shadow of war. In the land where all of these stories of Advent and Christmas took place. Over the past few months I've been thinking a lot about a phrase that I read in the title of a post that I read on a blog that's sponsored by the Center for BART Studies at Princeton Seminary. In late October, after the terrible events that that we're still praying about and people are still living through, horrific surprises, unexpected events no less, that revved up the hostilities between Israel and Gaza, the title caught my eye. The title was this, that those who kill should live. That those who kill should live. The author opened with the following sentence, one of the horrors of grace is the idea that people who commit evil can be made good. Now, in the post, he wrestles at length with the violence and victimhood on both sides of the warring divide. He does this in lament and in careful and painful consideration. But then he comes around to to really what is the, the core consideration of peace. And that is, when does the killing ever stop? When can it stop? When will it ever be okay for the killing to stop? As I took a look inside my heart, because every one of us has a kind of a gut reaction to this particular conflict. I think as I look around even our country, as far away as we are and yet as close as this issue is, I find, I just sense that we're not doing very well in considering this question. And yet it's one that I think we're drawn toward 
because of the salvation that has been revealed in Jesus Christ. Because we don't know a salvation other than the salvation that is salvation because of the forgiveness of guilty sinners. There's a cycle of violence in, in the human community that seems to be on repeat. And so in a way, this blog post ends with an implied question. And it's, it's, it's just been really something that has captured my attention and is just brought back over and over again. Is it reasonable to expect forgiveness to ever enter this picture? Can we expect the unexpected? This may seem like, like an issue that's, that's far away, and yet it comes close to home. Just this last week, I was in a conversation with someone who shared a story with me about a relative of theirs who had their life taken from them by someone who killed them. And this person was brought to justice and sent away to prison. This family is a, is a family of faith. They're a family who has experienced salvation and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And then it came as a great surprise to them when the person who was guilty of killing this family member of theirs went through a conversion and met the Lord in prison and experienced the same forgiveness that they had. And so it came close to their family story. This is the surprise of salvation. That even in our sin, we are worth saving. In Luke 3, 4 through 6, Luke describes John's mission of preparing the way for the Savior by quoting Isaiah 40. He says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. And he concludes, And all people will see God's salvation. Luke has spoken of this work of John in a song that Zechariah sang in the end of chapter 1. I want to read these words for you. And you, my child, this is Zechariah speaking to his son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. To guide our feet in the path of peace. From these words, from Zechariah in that song, speaking of the mission of his son John, preparing the way for Jesus' salvation, I see again that connection between forgiveness and peace. And it starts to become more of a source of light in a dark world. That God's salvation appears in the most unlikely places when those who are forgiven forgive others. Salvation, 
soterion. We know it through the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus came so that all people would see it. The road of repentance and forgiveness turns out to be the path to peace. Forgiveness and repentance through Christ the Lord is the essence of salvation. And we are invited in our Advent journey to to tread that path along those steps of forgiveness and peace. We can apply it in our interpersonal relationships with one another, with, with spouses, with children, with parents, with coworkers, with friends, maybe even with former friends. We can tread those steps also as we think about global peace. And when we think about what might be possible for God's saved people and forgiven people, what it's possible to hope for. This is all hard work. It's not easy. It's likely a long road facing a lot of painful things. But on this journey so far, see, last week we lit the candle of hope. And we're encouraged by that. And this week we're reminded of peace. That the path of peace for those who have experienced the coming of the Savior, that it may in fact be possible. As God's people, we know the way is hard. But we are also people who expect what the world may not be expecting. May our stories reflect the surprise of salvation. May our salvation, may God's salvation, break through into human lives as our forgiveness of others breaks out into our relationships. And as sinners, may we find salvation on the road to repentance as we follow the Savior on the path of peace. Amen.